Hail you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk five days a week. And once again, we will be hopping into our time machine as part of the time machine segment as all across the Locked On Network these these couple weeks here. But but first, you know what? As usual, I do have to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. And yes, we are going to go back to the year 2000. But first, you know what? A former Tiger, a former Tiger great, Max Scherzer, had some really interesting comments on Twitter this morning, and, well, I want to talk with my buddy, Blake Stark, about all that moving forward. Blake, what's happening with you today? How's life? Oh, life, you know, it, it goes on. <laughs> it goes on. It just, yeah. keeps, just keeps on going. Keeps coming at it? you, doesn't it? Even though we don't have baseball, by the way. It's, it's so weird that we're deep into May and there's still no baseball. But, you know, Max Scherzer on Twitter this morning, just, just let me read you the quote really quickly here. After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public. Now, first of all, you got a lot of people on Twitter responding, I could see, getting mad at Max Scherzer already. Getting mad online? Yeah, it never happens. It's so rare. But, you know, people were saying, oh, you stupid rich people, you're so out of touch, all this stuff. All I would say is this is just a negotiation at this point. Let's maybe save our outrage for an actual canceled or delayed season. Don't you kind of feel that way? Yeah, I would would question if any of these people that that react to the first – you know the first responses or the first offers if, if they've ever negotiated for anything in their entire life of you just, course you're just paying sticker price every time you go to the car lot because right. you you never lead with your best offer and you never you never counter with your best offer either so there's going to be some back and forth and this is not for uh you know this is not for a twenty five thousand uh, dollar you know minivan this is for, right this is for you know 2.5 billion dollars worth of payroll or right. whatever whatever that number is yeah for sure and i just think it's always important to put yourself in, in the other person's shoes, too, before you start, you know, throwing barbs at people on Twitter, especially directly at them. Um, my deal is, if you've already, as the MLB players have, if they've already agreed to a first pay cut, I mean, put it yourself, if he, if he was your boss, say you work at Target or you work at an auto body shop since you brought, or your car dealership since you brought that up, whatever it might be. If you already agreed to a pay cut and then he comes at you and wants to take give you a second pay cut, how are you going to feel about that, first of all? I wouldn't feel great about it, would you? Well, it's a slightly different situation because this is they have to agree to go back to work before right. they're before they can have a possibility to make any pay. Sure. So it's not a matter of it's not a matter of them having to go do their job to content, you know, to to remain employed or to keep the the lights on. Like they're just going to have to come to an agreement in order to reopen it for anybody to make any right. money. Yeah, and I certainly, don't get me wrong, I definitely understand people's frustration. And, and if we do get to a point where, again, if, if MLB and the Players Union, if they can't come to an agreement and somehow there's a, a significantly, unnecessarily, even further delayed season or even a canceled season, 
then by all means, honestly, the players and the sport itself will deserve all of the ridicule you can give them. Now, I will say, then to put it on the other shoe, maybe to some extent, I do, if I were a player, I would get tired of every time there's some sort of financial even hiccup whatsoever. These owners, are, they always want to they always want to cry foul. They always use these fancy accounting to sort of say, hey, we didn't make any money. We lost a ton of money last year and all this stuff. But yet, here's the problem with that. David Glass, for instance, who recently died, he bought the Kansas City Royals for $96 million. And actually, I believe the year 2000, or around then, coincidentally enough. Well, he sold them for $1 billion last year. That's a tenfold increase. And just to give you an idea, the S&P 500 is about doubled in that same amount of time. So, heck of an investment there. My point is, is... If I'm a player, I'm sick of hearing these owners cry foul when every single time they sell the team, they end up getting five times, ten times what they paid for it. I mean, I, I would agree, um, and I think that you know, with TV contracts and the money that's coming into the game, but players' compensation has, has risen up, has risen Absolutely. a lot, and it goes up every year too. Um, I don't know that it's. And I, I'm not privy to the behind the scene numbers or, or what the financials are, so I don't know how if it's commensurate with what the owners are making or not. Probably not. Um, but this is a this is just a whole differently unique situation. It sure is. I mean, dealing with this, this isn't this isn't a labor dispute pre- preventing the season from starting. This is the season being you know being delayed by you know by the virus, the, the virus the panic, the, yeah, all that stuff. Right, and, and now they're you know they made an agreement when at the end of spring training before we knew anything, thinking that they would you know you know we'd we'd open the the season this yeah or just open it. And it would be kind of business as usual, and then it would be a prorated pay based on everything being the same as it was before but now if they're going to go and reopen baseball and they're going to play in empty stadiums they're going to play in stadiums that are 25 percent capacity or whatever number they come up with um that's a significant part of the the owner's revenue that that isn't part of it so for the for the players to receive an equal prorated salary based on you know based on those the salaries that they receive when the when all the owners income streams are are flowing that's that's not entirely fair to the owners either. If the owners are only making forty percent or fifty percent of of the money that they make, right? Um, then then it is a little disproportionate, I think, for the players to get a purely prorated salary. While the owner, I mean, the- yeah, the problem is there's just been so much I think distrust between the MLB and the union over the years. We obviously saw the extreme example of that in '94 when we the, the World Series was canceled. They canceled the rest of that season, and. Really, it, it took the 98 home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, that whole deal, to really start bringing the casual fan back. And honestly, the thing is, I don't blame them for negotiating, but when you're Max Scherzer, if you're going to take these negotiations into the public sphere, as he did, boy, you are running a risk of, of turning off a lot of fans. I mean, you do have, again, the whole put yourself in their shoes thing, put yourself in the shoes of a bunch of fans who – you know, again, they don't make the kind of money you do. They're a lot of them aren't even jobs. allowed to work right now. That's, that's There's a, 30 million of them out of work, and they it's you know, 40 now, yeah. or at least more than that. Those are the ones who are taking unemployment benefits, so or have, or have claimed that, whatever the word I'm trying to say there is. But so it's actually even more than that. But so to to be, I, I just would tell, would advise everybody in MLB, the league, the players' union, don't be completely tone deaf because. You've seen your fans disappear before, and you don't want that to happen again. Because like there's the, going to be all these other sports happening at the same time, too. 
an entire summer, an entire year without baseball, that would be really disastrous for the product, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if the NBA players can get it together and the, and the hockey players can get it together and, and they can go out there and play, but right. the baseball guys can't be bothered to. Bad luck. It sort of smacks of it, the beginning of the quarantine thing when, you know, you've got celebrities in there in their compounds saying, hey, just stay home and stay right. safe. Sure. You know, and, and they're sitting there and, you know, they've... 65,000 square feet. Right. If you've got a 250 square foot apartment, as I right, had in Chicago back in the day, that's a totally it's a, different ballgame. Yeah, it's game. a little bit different. And Absolutely. I, I, I think what, and I, I, I get that from the player standpoint, they don't want to, you know, they're afraid if they give an inch here, then the, you know, the owners will take a mile on the next, sure. on the next labor agreement. And I get that. But they need to do something where they just, they freeze this season as a total right. outlier. Yes. And they deal with this just in this specific situation. We're going to make this agreement. That Everybody's going to have to this sacrifice. Year, and there, this has no bearing going forward. I agree. So, you know, don't think that next year we're going to do it. We're going to do a percentage of revenue or, or any of these things that the owners are asking for. But to get baseball going this year and just to keep it going. And you got to think about the guys at the bottom of the league. You know, it's, again, it's easy for Max Scherzer, who's sure. got a $200 million contract, to, to maybe set this one out. But it's not as easy for rookies, so, you know, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or just a, you know, a fringe guy that may yep. get his first call up this year, right? You know, may make sure, you know, guys you who have yeah been in the minors and maybe are really good prospects and players, but they still haven't gotten that major league money yet. Yeah, and even even more than the young guys that that have bright futures, there are a lot of guys that are twenty eight. You know, like Ron Ron Hell Ravello, who plays for the Cardinals. Um, he you know he's twenty eight, twenty nine years old, and he's he's was projected to make the roster this year would be his first season in the and he played eight hundred something minor league games before he got a little call up last year. So right. that guy would like to get a whole season in of and course. just make the the minimum and make, you know, his half a million dollars before he Yeah, it'd be he's, huge for he's him. been doing yeah. it for twelve Obviously. years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So guys like that, you have to think about those guys would those guys need to play. Absolutely. Um, it's this might be the only only full season in his whole career he gets to play major league baseball. So you have the you know, the guys at the top need to think about the guys in the bottom of the union as well, even though, you know, they don't they don't bring as big of a piece of the pie to the sure no, no there's a there's a lot of things at play here for sure and you know what speaking of things that are often in play you're often juggling if you're like me you're juggling what type of sweets you can get away from when you're on a diet right well that's why you got to go with built bar in my humble opinion because built bar is a protein bar that really does taste like a candy bar because they're covered in 100 percent chocolate they're soft and easy to chew and again They'll help you lose and maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. My personal favorite, my leader in the clubhouse right now, has got to be the mint brownie. 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, only 4 grams of sugar. And you know what? Find out which one you like the best. Get that variety pack. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And coming up, Blake and I will have our segment on the year 2000. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again that we take a look into the past. The past, John? That's right, Blake Stark. Let's look to the past, all the way to the year 2000. In the year 2000, in the year 2000. Oh, man. That was my attempt at falsetto. All right. Let's get into I thought you were going to play. I thought you were going to play the clip. You just went for it. <laughs> I just went for it. I felt it. And, Acapella. And we, almost, we almost got there. What the heck. But, you know, the big thing about leading into 2000, obviously the big news, if you're a Missouri fan, 
Well, Norm Stewart resigned and Quinn Snyder was hired. And, you know, if you look at this 99-2000 basketball roster, you've got a pretty interesting mix here of the new Quinn guys and the old Norm guys, for sure. You've got, obviously, the the recruiting class, the two-man recruiting class, Kareem Rush and Josh Kroenke. Very notable guys there. But then you've also got Keon Dooling. You've got Clarence Gilbert from the previous team. Obviously, Norm Stewart recruited those guys, but that's some pretty good talent to start off with, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a... That, Brian Grower, too, by the way. Right, he's not walking into the, the the roster that Conzo inherited, for instance. No, that's for sure. No, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, Missouri actually finished second in the Big 8 the previous year, made the tournament in Norm's final year. And, by the way, Norm got the final laugh against KU, I noticed. His final game against Kansas... 99, one in Lawrence. Take that. He's got bragging rights forever over the Jayhawks. You got to love it. But you know what? I I really loved this team, to be honest. Really looking back on it, I kind of forgot how much I loved this first Quinn Snyder team, to be honest with you. Yeah, Jeff Hafer. Yeah, Jeff Hafer and Johnny Parker. Kind of a small team. They were basically our four men there. And then I, Keon Dooling just has a special place in my heart forever. Oh, I, for sure. And I mean, actually, if I, I can't think of two guys that came in in the same year that 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 I love more than than Keon Dooling and Clarence Gilbert for totally different. Keon was so explosive and smooth, and he, you know, obviously had the dunk that was just robbed from taken away from him, yep. the infamous cowering charge in, in <laughs> Lawrence, and then uh, you know went on to was a what was it the 10th pick maybe he was a top 10 pick he was 10th i believe and then he went to that that young clippers team with right you know with he had uh, to play for donald sterling unfortunately that was his penance but yeah q and darius miles and they had their (laughs) whole thing and um so keon was awesome then he went on to you know become really respected leader and you know for sure then he has has been an advocate against child abuse and all those other things so keon's had a real all kinds of stuff real good real good career and then gilbert was just you know gilbert the gunner just a scrappy I just I just loved watching him play. So those two those two guys are amazing. That that team, Kareem obviously was great. Uh, and then the next year, Quinn would bring in the 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 guys like those are his. I think those are the guys that. Well, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of those guys. Quinn Snyder brought in a really good recruiting class: Trayvon Bryant, Ricky Paulding. Who am I forgetting? AJ, Wesley <laughs> yeah. Stokes, little yeah, guy Arthur named, Johnson, guy named AJ. Yeah, our, our all-time leading rebounder. I mean, that's an absolutely incredible class, even though Stokes obviously ends up transferring after a couple years. But just those three guys alone, my goodness, well done there. Was Glenn Dandridge in that class too? No, he was He was later for was sure. Later? Yeah, he was, he was toward the uh, bad years of Quinn, I hate to say it. But, you know, it's interesting. In, in 99, the 99 half of this 99-2000 season, Missouri was off to a pretty slow start. They had non-conference losses. They lost their first game in the Carrier Dome of the Quinn era to Wisconsin. Barely beat Princeton 51-48. And just kind of played some, you know, some fairly nondescript schools. Had a had a good win over Iowa at the Hearn Center. Also won, also won the Bragg and Rights game, but then there were losses to Winthrop early in the late in the non-conference season. We also lost at SLU that year. So, you know, it was sort of up and down, but then Missouri won, I believe, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in a row in the Big 8 at one point after dropping their first one to Iowa State. So, really, just an impressive job by Quinn, the the whole staff, new squad, new system, to get that team into the tournament, I thought. 
Yeah, I mean, no complaints there whatsoever, especially since, well, you know, the Kansas games. Let's talk about the Kansas games in... Because obviously the first one is the the Hearn Center game, a famous game that probably most of us remember. I certainly do because I was there. Clarence Gilbert just went crazy. Second half, Missouri pulls away, wins the game 81-59 over a top-10 Kansas team. Jeff Boshi fouls Gilbert on a four-point play. I don't know if you remember this. Gilbert falls to the floor and just, like, spreads his legs in the air. Just like a crazed reaction. He was so on fire. That's one of the most fun games of all time. You remember that game? I don't. I I I, w- I didn't do any prep for this segment. I wish I wish I I wish I could. I, it just sounds so classic, Gilbert. Though. Oh, he was so good in that game. I mean, just he was completely unconscious in the second half, and you could just tell. Like John Sunvold was on the call too. I I, I tweeted out a a old from the Mizzou vault and old uh, an old clip there that had John Sunvold on the call. You could just tell he was in hog heaven just watching them. He said, you'll not find many better shooting exhibitions than this in basketball. That's a guy that knows a little bit about shooting. Exactly right. And Gilbert, yeah, ended up with his career high at that point, twenty his career high 27 in that game. But then later, honestly, I'd forgotten about the Lawrence game. Missouri lost only by one point, and I was going, why do I have no memory of this game whatsoever? But I looked it up on YouTube, and I was reminded, oh, yeah. Missouri was kind of down double digits from most of that game. Had a furious comeback. I I noticed at one point the announcer said that Missouri was 13 of 30 from three-point land with about four minutes left. I mean, 30 three-point attempts in, in the year 2000 is a lot. I mean, today that's you know maybe par for the course, but back then... Basically, what I'm saying is, is you could tell Quinn Snyder was ahead of the curve with sort of the, you know, hey, let's spread out the court a little bit. Let's get that. Let's get one guy out of the paint, that extra postman out of the paint, and open things up a little bit. Don't you think that aged well? Yeah, definitely. Um, a small team then too. You know, like you said earlier, you know, if you got Jeff Hafer at the four, right, and Johnny Parker at times would yeah, play the four too. It seemed like. You're going to spread. You want to spread guys out. Yeah, for sure. And well, what ends up happening? Missouri actually has the lead. I believe they're up 83-82 with less than 30 seconds left. Kansas ends up getting the ball inside to a pretty wide open Drew Gooden. Jeff Hafer is definitely forced to to take a foul there and send him to the free throw line. Unfortunately, he just basically grabs the back of his shoulders and he's called for an intentional foul and. I guess by the book, that is an intentional foul. I can't really complain about that. It's just so brutal that that's how we lost the game there, leading by one with literally 13 seconds left, I think 12.9. And it's just amazing to me how in 2012, of course, well, Phil Pressey got fouled too by the book, but somehow they swallowed their whistle. But now if it's it's Kansas, whoever the home team is, it's like we're going to call it by the book then. That's one of the irritating parts of college basketball to me. Whoever the home team is, the home team is always Kansas and right. Fieldhouse. Well, it's especially bad for Kansas and Duke. You know the teams that really pack it in and have the raucous crowds. I mean, we've seen it at the Hearn Center and, and Mizzou Arena before too, and that place gets really packed. We're getting the benefit of the whistles a heck of a lot more than we do on the road too. But yeah, just just kind of a bummer there. But ultimately. <laughs> By the way, are you guys getting tired of this gimmick yet? Because nope. I'm definitely not. No way. It's, it's amusing me, and that's all that really matters, right? But seriously, ultimately, Missouri falls. They make the NCAA tournament. 
in the in the old eight nine game that we became familiar with, we also became really familiar with finishing sixth in the Big Twelve. We did that, I think, five six years in a row, either fifth or sixth, tied for sixth, something like that. But we played North Carolina in the first round, and you know what? Like you said, you know Tajindin Soyoye was our center. He was like maybe six nine at best. Well, we had a to play against six nine though. Oh, a, absolutely chiseled, a, absolutely chiseled six <laughs> nine for sure. But unfortunately, Brendan Haywood. If there was a guy that I would have taken from college basketball to put on this Missouri team, it might have been Brendan Haywood that year because, man, he was just a absolute load in the post and athletic too. We just had no answer for him. Haywood ends up having, let's see, I think I wrote down his numbers here. He had 28 points, 15 rebounds, 11 of 15 from the floor. He also took nine free throws, too. So I definitely remember him just completely destroying us. So unfortunately, that was just a really bad matchup for Mizzou. I honestly think that team, they were playing their best ball in the year 2000 as the year came, as the months wore on there, this new young team with their new young coach. I thought they they were playing really good ball coming to the tournament. Unfortunately, they just... Again, the wrong matchup, in my opinion. But, well, you know what? We've talked enough about foot, about basketball. Let's get to football on the other side of the break. A much more nondescript season for the Tiger football team, that's for sure. I have a lot of good memories of that 99-2000 Mizzou basketball team. But football, well, not so much. This was, in fact... This was Justin Smith's final year as a Tiger. He would leave as a jun- true junior to go to the NFL draft. His first year eligible, in fact. Who knows, he might have left after his sophomore year if he could have. That guy was such a beast. My goodness. But it was also Larry Smith's final season as well. And really, that's probably the most notable thing there to me. Larry, you know, great guy. His, him and his wife, really good people. I'll say that first of all. I think his first year, maybe his second year, my mom was working for the team. They actually, we actually went over to their house for a little Christmas party. And if my memory serves, they gave me a gift. I believe it was a set of dominoes. So Cheryl Smith was always really nice to me, his wife. But it's funny, I, I can't help but remember. I, sh- I should point out that we always sat and always have to this day. We've always sat in the coaches' wives section for whatever reason. About you know sixty yards. I'm sorry, sixty rows up at the fifty yard line. So for years and years, I noticed that Cheryl Smith was definitely different than all of the other coaches' wives. Most of them would be very quiet, wouldn't say a whole lot. Cheryl Smith was up on her feet, yelling at officials from sixty yards up. And frankly, I loved it because that was just how I was as a teenager. So I was all about it. But I do, I do remember the last game against Kansas State. She, I don't know, I, she may have had enough of my seventeen-year-old mouth at that point. I don't know. Maybe I was questioning some play calling or something. And she uh, gave me a little crap and. That was the last time I ever saw Cheryl Smith, but <laughs> she's a good lady. I, I love Cheryl and Larry. That's all I'll say about that. But another interesting thing, do you remember, this was kind of a, a Hail Mary in 2000. Larry brought in Bill Cubitt. Is that a name? Oh, I do. Now, yeah. there's a blast running like the past. The, running the, the three-to-one three, three to one side, like the stack, and just all kinds of weird It was a definite offense, spread so. offense. It was definitely a change from the grinded out, you know, option style football that we would get successful with in 97 and 98 with Corby Jones. And honestly, when you look at it, not only did our recruiting just fail generally, but boy, there was just in 99, for instance, like Kirk Farmer, Jimmy Daugherty, 
those guys don't really have the same skill set as Corby Jones. So you kind of see the need for to change the offense in 2000 to some extent, but really it was just too little too late. And I think, I think Larry Larry just kind of ran out of gas. I mean, and every you know Larry's a great. And I think he may have been starting to get sick at the time, or he something. may have. I don't know. Um, but he came in and was. I mean, obviously he was a huge shot in the arm for the program and right. gave, gave the ninety seven ninety eight Mizzou teams were the first time, like in my my conscious life that I can remember Mizzou yep. teams. I remember when we went down to Oklahoma State and won that triple overtime game. Right. And we got to five wins on the season. It was the first time we won huge more than deal. four games that I could remember. Right. Um. So Larry deserved a ton of credit for that stuff, but I think he he just kind of ran out of ran out of gas on the recruiting trail specifically. Right, recruiting, for sure. Recruiting dried up. Then he made some questionable, kind of desperate redshirt pulls like with Justin Gage. Right. Um, uh, didn't Corby lose his red shirt in, in he a did. weird way, he, too? He did the same thing to Corby in 95. Yeah, so, it was both against Nebraska in Nebraska for whatever reason. And just I losing efforts. For, that's my memory of it anyway. At the same time, though, I think Kirk Farmer was actually, actually had a lot of potential to be pretty good, but he just couldn't shake those injuries. You know, I think Kirk Farmer it, could have had a could have had a good career at quarterback. If he, you know, we, we were we were beating Nebraska at Nebraska. He started Nebraska in like yeah, 1999, I, and then he just broke his collarbone or something. And he's just, I I think I think it it could it may not have ended as poorly for Larry Smith. I think he was still probably ready to go, no matter what. But I think it may not have ended as poorly for him if Kirk Farmer could have stayed healthy. Yeah, I I, I agree with that to some extent for sure. I, I was a little bit disappointed. Just to see that Kirk never actually reached fifty percent passing in any of his any of his uh, any of his seasons, but honestly, I just think he didn't have a whole lot of help around him. Like you said, injuries, that type of deal, and not the right offense either. I mean, obviously, we changed offenses when he was there probably three times because he ended up starting quite a bit in two thousand one during Pinkle's first year too. So yeah, I agree. I think. I think if you did Kirk Farmer's career over again, say you transport him twenty year to, into twenty twenty or something, I think he could absolutely have a different career with a different program, all that kind of deal. But you know what? You got anything else you want to say about two thousand? Any other memories? I know I've I've very much put you on the spot on the show here today. If uh, if Darius Outlaw could have been the quarterback, or if his if his quarterback skills could have been uh, up to as awesome as his name is. I mean, what a name, Darius Outlaw. That's really phenomenal. Wow. It honestly, is just yeah. yeah. It sounds like yeah, he, he should have been casted in any given Sunday for sure yeah. with that name, without question. But yeah, I remember being so excited when he came and just oh, Darius Outlaw is gonna he's gonna be the truth. How could he not be the truth? Right. And then he turned into a pretty good wide receiver. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? Justin Gage was a freshman, not only on the basketball team, but also this football team as well, and. You know what? 44 receptions for 709 yards, considering neither quarterback was over 50% completions. This was a terrible, terrible Mizzou team. So that just shows you Justin Gage. He had something early there. So just a good note to go out on there. And you know what? Once again, I got to remind you guys, check out Chad Ford's big board. He's a part of the Locked On Network, and we're sure happy to have him. So until next time, for Blake, I'm John, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.